0: Summers, an Australian Test Cricket History podcast. This is part two of our episode covering the 1901-02 tour by England. Part one was released last week and covers the first two tests of the five test series. We resume with the series locked at 1-all. Another two weeks passed before the third test commenced in Adelaide. The English went in unchanged, whilst the Australians dropped Jones, who had only taken one wicket across the first two matches, in favour of McLeod. There was some speculation regarding Noble's place, having suffered a knee injury in the previous test, but he convinced the selectors he was the right to go. The pitch was uncharacteristically slow and low, and as such, McLaren had little hesitation in batting first when he won the toss. McLaren and Hayward continued in their vein of their strong partnerships from previous matches. They were cautious against the bowling of Trumbull and McLeod, but took advantage of the short square boundaries of the Adelaide Oval when the bowl was erred. Darling rotated Noble and Howe through the bowling crease for little impact as the score reached 60 after the first hour of play. Few dangers faced the batsmen in the lead up to lunch, and both managed to reach 43 as the break was taken, with English comfortable at none for 88. During the lunch break there was much consternation over the dropping of Jones as his pace would have provided a point of difference in the attack. Armstrong's leg breaks were tried, but Hayward twice hit him to the boundary, bringing up his own 50 and the team 100 in the process. Soon after, Armstrong succeeded in bowling McLaren. The English captain started to walk off, but was recalled by the umpire as the bowler had overstepped. He brought up his fifty soon after as the partnership continued to build, reaching 149. Hayward drove a ball to mid-on and remained in his crease as McLaren charged down the wicket. McLaren turned but failed to get back in time, being run out for 67 by a good throw from Trumper. He was replaced by Tildesley, who struggled to penetrate the field. Whilst Hayward played some good strokes off Noble, Tildesley remained scoreless for 25 minutes. The pressure was too great and he lashed out at Trumbull, only to hit a high return catch to the bowler to be out for a duck. Haywood followed soon after having reached 90, only to be run out by the wicketkeeper. Jessup followed for one soon after, leaving the English at 4 for 171 at the tea break. Following tea, Lily could only manage 10 before being trapped LBW by Trumbull, giving him his third wicket. This led to Quafe and Braun combining. Braun started well finding the boundary twice, whilst Quafe was batting at his usual slow pace. The two helped take the score past 200 and from there began to accelerate. Quaif found the boundary twice off McLeod and also took Howe for 7 runs off two balls. For once he was a dominant member of a partnership and moved past 50 just before stumps were drawn. With Braun 35 not out, the English ended the day on 5 for 266 with honors considered even between the two sides. The two batsmen started the second day under overcast skies. This had little effect as the score moved steadily onwards towards 300. Braun was lucky to survive on 44 when McLeod missed a hot chance over his head. Quaife moved on to 68 before he managed to tickle one down the league side off Howe, falling at 294. He was replaced by Jones, who helped take the score past 300, before he was run out going for the third run needed to complete Braun's half-century. Gunn joined Braun, who completed his 50 with an off-drive for four off Howe. They managed to get through to lunch without further mishaps, heading for the break at 7 for 330. Braun should have be dismissed shortly after the resumption of play, but Trumple dropped a simple chance in the slips. Braun then took full advantage, hitting a boundary to the leg side off Howe before founding the boundary twice more in the bowlers next over. This took the score past 350. Braun continued hitting, moving into the nice before losing his partner at 371, with Gunn playing a ball from Noble onto his stumps to be out for 24. With only the final two wickets to go, Braun pushed hard for his century, reaching it with a quick single to Duff, who overcooked the throw, allowing the batsmen to bring up the milestone. The innings ended shortly afterwards, with Noble claiming the final two wickets. Braun was undefeated on 103, his maiden test century, in over three and a half hours, with toll fours. The English had posted a competitive total of 388, whilst Trumbull and Noble both claimed three wickets. Darling and Trumper opened the batting for the Australians. Almost immediately, Darling was out, caught in the slips for of one off Blythe, and was replaced by Hill, who started with boundaries off both Blythe and Barnes. Trumper also started well, taking seven off two balls from Barnes and a cut for four off Blythe. The score was moving so quickly that McLaren went ultra-defensive, stationing four men on the league-side boundary off Braun. This had little impact, with the 50 coming up in only 30 minutes of batting. The English issues were compounded when Barnes had to leave the field with a left knee injury, having wrenched it earlier in the innings. This loss was great, especially as Barnes had been the only bowler to pose a threat to the two batsmen. Hill took full advantage, racing ahead and bringing up his half-century at a run a minute. Trumper, who was only half Hill's score at this stage, now started to ramp up, taking 11 off of Blythe over, before a drive to the long straight boundary brought up his own 50. The score moved into the 130s with both batsmen looking supreme. It would be batsman error that split them, however, with a miscommunication leaving Trumper to be stranded, running out for 65. The two had shared a 137-run partnership at better than a run a minute. Duff replaced Trumper and helped see out the day without further loss, ending on 2 for 172, with Hill having moved on to 83. The Australians were still trailing by 216 runs, who were in an otherwise excellent position. Rainer being forecast for each of the first few days, but following the rest day, none had fallen by the resumption of play on day 3. Hill moved cautiously into the 90s, where he was then dropped on 92 by Jones in the outfield, off the bowling of Gunn. Having got a life, Hill played more recklessly in pursuit of his century. He struck a drive for four, but then on 98 went for the big hit off Braund, with Tildesley taking a well-judged catch close to the boundary. Hill had batted for two and a half hours and making his second consecutive score in the 90s with 11 boundaries. Gregory joined Duff at 3 for 197, and the two moved the score into the 200s. Duff hit a back cut for four, but was then lucky to survive a drop in the slips by McLaren. Both batsmen were scoring mainly in boundaries, but there were large scoring gaps in between. Duff, who had made his way to 43 with eight boundaries, was trapped LBW by Braund. Armstrong replaced him and batted slowly until lunch, with Australians reaching at 4 for 248, with Gregory having made his way to 30. Following lunch, the score moved on to 264, Armstrong Tangly patted one back to gun, giving his first wicket after previously having two opportunities dropped. Trumbull joined Gregory, who moved to his 50 with a cut-off gun, followed by a big hit over long-on off Braun. A long period without scoring followed, with Gregory eventually succumbing to the pressure, giving a simple catch to mid-on off Braun to be out for 55. The Australians for now six 288. From here, the Australians were unable to develop any partnerships of significance as Gunn ran through the tail. He took the final four wickets to fall, leading to the Australian innings ending on 321, trailing the English score by 67. Gunn was the pick of the bowlers, finishing with 5 for 76. Braun did claim three, but had gone for 143 runs in the process. McLaren and Hayward commenced further English looking to build a match-winning lead. McLaren survived his first ball by a whisker with Howe nearly knocking his stumps out. He handled Noble better, hitting him for a boundary. Given their position, the English didn't need to force the play and batted carefully, or they still scored at a fair rate, bringing up 50 runs at a run a minute. At this point, they started taking more risks, with both batsmen now looking to find the boundary. They took the score on 80 before Trumbull struck, bowling McLaren for 44. Tilsley replaced him. Hayward was lucky to survive a stumping opportunity as Kelly fumbled to take. They saw through the rest of the day, ending at 1 for 98, a lead of 165. Light showers fell overnight, but had little impact on the pitch as the fourth day began under bright skies. The English started in a positive mode, taking 11 off Trumbull's first over. Tildesley survived a drop chance in the following over, but Hay was not so lucky, being bowled for 47 by Trumbull. Hay was replaced by Quaife, who again batted slowly. Tildesley would be dismissed soon after, ran out from a smart bit of fielding from Trumper for 25. Jessup came to the crease at 4 for 144, and struck Noble for 2 4s and a 6 in an over before being bowled going for another big stroke off Trumbull. Howell replaced Noble and was struck for 3 4s by New Batsman Braun before getting his revenge on the stroke of lunch, bowling him for 17. The English went to lunch on 5 for 165, with Quake not out on 10 after 70 minutes of batting. Following the break, the wind picked up drastically. This made conditions more difficult for the fielding side. Quaife doubled his total in short time, whilst New Batsman Lily batted enterprisingly. The two took the score past 200 before a violent storm struck the ground, ending the play for the day. The English now led by 269, but only had four wickets remaining, with Barnes being unable to bat due to his injury. The fifth day dawned with the play starting on time following the storm that ended day four. The Australians started well, with McLeod clean bowling Lily without addition to his overnight score of 21. The English Indians couldn't get going after this, losing wickets at regular intervals to be ending on 247, with Quaife last out for 44. Trumble claimed the final three wickets to finish with 6 for 74 and 9 for the match. This gave the Australians a challenging total of 313 to win and take a 2-1 lead in the series. The Australians opened with Trumper and Duff, the first time this soon-to-be-famous combination would join forces. It was an inauspicious start, however, as Duff, having struck gun for a boundary, trod on his wicket. This brought Hill and Trumper together again. The English, already missing the bowling of Barnes, also suffered from limited effectiveness from Blythe, who was struggling with torn ligaments in his spinning finger. Trumper and Hill picked up from where they left off in the first innings, hitting hard strokes all around the wicket. 50 was raised without much difficulty. However, at this score, Trumper was surprised by a ball from Gunn and was bowled. His place was taken by Gregory. Hill now started to play out of his crease, trying to smother the turn created by Gunn and Braun on the now-wearing wicket. This was a successful approach and helped take his score on with little difficulty. Gregory played his tragamite cut shots and also looked comfortable before seemingly hitting a ball to slip when McLaren completed the catch, throwing the ball in the air. However, Gregory stood his ground and was given not out by the umpire. This didn't cost the English, however, as Gregory was out two runs later in the next over, caught off-gun for 23. Darling joined Hill and the two went to tea with a score at 3 for 103, with Hill not out 48. Following the break, Darling played second fiddle to Hill, who did the bulk of the scoring. He took advantage of the wavering English attack whose death was now being sorely tested. Hill quickly moved past 50 and with little difficulty progressed the total. McLaren now turned to his part-timer in Hayward, but this only led to an increase in the scoring. Hill took full advantage, once again moving into the 90s as Stumps approached. At this point Jessup was tried. Hill, who had moved to 97, was struck on the pads. The appeal was unsuccessful, but next ball crashed down the Stumps. This was Hill's third consecutive 90 in the series. He had, however taking the Australians to 194. Darling, who had made his way to 40 after having started slowly and trumbled, saw out the rest of the day's play, ending at 4 for 201, still requiring 112 runs for victory. The sixth day dawned brightly with the Australians starting in a similar fashion, with Darling driving Jessup before. 4. The scoring was otherwise slow, with only 11 coming in the first half hour. Darling brought up his 50 and was soon afterwards dropped by Blythe off his own bowling. At the other end, Trumbull struck gun for a boundary, taking the score past 230. The total continued to climb, moving to 250 just before lunch. Jessup was brought back with Darling striking him for four, before falling two balls later for 69. The Australians went to lunch, still requiring 58 runs with five wickets in hand. Noble came to the crease to join Trumbull, who was on 29, following the break. There was some tension still in the game, but Noble began well, filing the boundary in his first over. Trumbull was also batting with confidence and moved into the 40s. With the score reaching 287, Noble was run out trying to take a suicidal single. He was replaced by Armstrong. With only 26 runs to get, Trumbull decided to get them quickly, bringing up his 50 with a boundary to square leg. Another boundary off Jessup took the runs required to single figures. McLaren dropped a chance off Armstrong at this point whilst the victory was achieved through keeper error with 3 byes giving the Australians the win by 4 wickets. Trumbull ended on 62 not out with 8 boundaries. The Australians had taken a 2-1 lead and looked well-set to retain the Ashes for a third successive series. An assessment of Barnes' knee showed that the damage was serious enough to end his tour. His performances, particularly in the second test, had justified McLaren's selection, and without him the English would struggle to penetrate the Australian lineups. This test also marked the last of Joe Darling in the series, with the requirements of managing his farm preventing him from participating in the final two tests. The English played their second match against New South Wales between the third and fourth tests, gaining some confidence through an innings and a 137-run victory, with McLaren, Hayward and Tildesley all scoring big hundreds. Both sides were forced into changes for the fourth test in Sydney. The English brought in more batting power, replacing the injured Barnes with the debutant McGay. The Australians also made changes. Darling was replaced by New South Wales all-rounder Albert Hopkins, who was the selected ahead of Sid Gregory's brother Charles and Charles Eady from Tasmania. McLeod was also left out, with the left-arm spin of Victorian Jack Saunders, who had taken 11 wickets against New South Wales the previous month, being preferred. With Australians also in need of a new captain, Trumbull was elected, being the most experienced player on the side, having made his debut in 1890. McLaren was once again successful at the toss, and chose to bat on a pitch which appeared to hold few demons. Fred Spothith, who had been living in England for the past 11 years, had arrived in time to witness the first day's play. Once again, McLaren and Hayward opened for the English, whilst Noble and debutante Saunders commenced for the Australians. Both bowlers started well, restricting the batsmen with Saunders giving Hayward great difficulty. Eventually, the bowler erred in length, allowing Hayward to strike two consecutive leg-side boundaries. The first hour brought 45 runs, with McLaren surviving a miscued shot shortly after. The two continued through to lunch, with a score reaching 68, with both batsmen in the 30s. Following lunch, Saunders claimed his first test wicket. Bowling Hayward for 41, with the score at 73. This brought Tildesley in to join McLaren. Tildesley started quickly, with three boundaries in the first two overs he faced. However, the bowling tightened at this point, with the total crawling along towards 100. When this milestone was reached, McLaren now started to free his arms, taking advantage of any loose deliveries. He moved past 50, and was continuing his love affair with the SCG. Trumbull at one end was keeping it tight, but he was struggling to find a supporting partner, with Noble, Howell and Saunders all going for easy runs. McLaren struck Noble for three consecutive boundaries, taking his score on to 79. The two batsmen bring up their 100-run stand just as T was taken, with McLaren on 90 and Tildesley having made 41. Following the break, Saunders was brought on for immediate results, having McLaren caught at mid-off by Duff for 92. He was out with the score on 179, and his dismissal led to a collapse. Quaife was dismissed for four, caught behind off Saunders, whilst Jessup skewed a big shot first ball to Noble at point from the same bowler, out for a golden duck. Linglish were now 4 for 188, and squandering their strong start. Braun joined Tildesley, and the two took the score past 200, with Tildesley hitting a 6 off Saunders over the side screen. However, at 221, Braun was trapped LBW by Trumbull. He was replaced by debutant McGay. Tildesley, who had managed to make it into the 70s, was out off the bowling of Noble shortly before the close of play, caught behind for 79 after almost three hours at the crease, giving Noble his 50 wicket in tests. Lillian McGay saw out the day. The English position of 6 for 266 was not as good as it could have been considering where they were at T. A record 40,000 strong crowd attended the second day of the test, a Saturday. Trumbull gave them plenty to cheer for early by bowling McGay in his second over of the day without him adding to his overnight score of 18. Jones replaced him, joining Lily, who was in an adventurous mood. The English keeper repeatedly lofted Trumbull and Saunders to the boundary, just out of reach of the fielders. Jones, after starting slowly, also managed to find the boundary off Trumbull. The score raced past 300 and the partnership went to 49 before Saunders was switched for Noble. This immediately brought about the breakthrough, as the leader was caught behind for 40. The end of the innings came quickly, with Trumbull claiming Jones without a run being added before Noble took the final wicket with the score at 317. Saunders was the pick of the bowlers, having taken four wickets on debut, whilst Noble and Trumbull both claimed three apiece. The total was considered a middling one and would require some excellent bowling from the English to be competitive. In the short time before lunch, they started well. With Jessup claiming Trumbull for six. Trumper fell on the other side of the break, with Jessup having him well caught and slips by Braund. This saw the Australians drop to 2 for 18, which soon became 3 for 30, with Jessup again proving irresistible, this time dismissing Gregory, with McLaren parrying the ball to Braund, who completed the catch. Noble then joined Hill, and they just made his way to double figures. Hill attempted to hit out against Jessup, top edging one safely before another sky shot was caught amid on. The Australians were now in a precarious position of 4 for 48 with Jessop's pace causing havoc, having taken all four wickets to fall. At this point, Duff combined with Noble. They benefited with the removal of Jessop from the attack, with McLaren looking to rest his key bowler. Despite this, both batted cautiously, looking to build a partnership. The arrival of Blythe to the bowling crease saw the Australians become more adventurous, with Duff cutting in for four. However, Noble should have been dismissed as he came down to pitch and Blythe missed, only for Lily to muff the stumping. Jessop was brought back, but was not as effective, with the batsman taking 11 off 1-over. This led to the 100 being raised. The partnership moved to 71 before it was broken, with Duff feathering a ball from Blythe to the keeper to be dismissed for 39. He was replaced by Armstrong. Noble managed to reach his 50 before the close of play, whilst Armstrong also started to look comfortable, moving to 11 before rain brought an early end to proceedings. The Australians were on fire for 148, still trailing by 169. Following the rest day, play resumed for day three, with a Monday record of 18,000 in attendance. Noble started well with a four driven off Jessup, but fell soon after, trapped LBW at Braun for 56, although Noble believed he got back to the delivery. He was replaced by the debutant Hopkins, with a score at 160. The Australians batted slowly, scoring only two runs off the 10 overs post Noble's dismissal. The shackles were broken when Hopkins hit a full toss of to the fine leg boundary, before Armstrong delighted the crowd with some big hitting, including a ball that was caught by Tildesley, but the catch was only completed outside the playing boundary, giving Armstrong a 6. Armstrong brought up his half-century with another boundary, and took the score past 200 before his bowl by Braun for 55. Kelly joined Hopkins with lunch taken shortly afterwards. After lunch, Hopkins brought up double figures with a single, having spent over an hour at the crease to this point. The score moved slowly in singles before Hopkins found his rhythm, hitting consecutive boundaries off-gun. Some more big hits from both batsmen took the score past 250 before Hopkins was dismissed for 43 caught behind off Braun, This brought Howell to the crease who would play an extraordinary cameo. He sent his second ball over the rope for six, taking 18 runs off the next over, before hitting Jessup for two boundaries. He was out shortly after for 35, having only faced 15 balls, almost half of which went to the boundary. The innings closed shortly after when Saunders was out for a duck, with Kelly left not out 24. Braun claimed the final wicket to join Jessup on four for the innings. The Australians finished on 299, giving the English a slender lead of 18 runs. The pitch was still in excellent condition at the beginning of the English second innings with McLaren and Hayward once again opening. However, they could not take advantage of the conditions with McLaren falling caught behind off Noble for only five. Tilted came in at number three and took the score on 24 before he edged a ball from Saunders to its slip. New batsman Quaife joined Hayward and the two struggled to score off the two bowlers. Most runs came from miscues or edges as the pressure built. Eventually, Noble drew Hayward forward to a wide ball outside off over for the ball to spin between bat and pad to bowl him for 12. Jessup started in his usual style, with a cut shot for 4 off Noble, followed by a full toss from Saunders to dispatched to the boundary. This didn't last long though, as Saunders spun one past his edge to bowl him. This left the English at 4 for 57. Noble dismissed Quay for the next over, trapping LBW, whilst Braun fell for a duck to Saunders. Lily then became Noble's fourth victim when he too edged a ball to slip. The English had lost 4 wickets for 3 runs, now at a precarious 7 for 60. McGaughy and Jones managed to see out the rest of the day without further incident, but the hopes of setting a difficult total were now shattered at 7 for 77. Any chance for a recovery early on day four were dashed when McGaughy was caught behind off Saunders with only one run added. The final two wickets took the score on to 99 before the innings was ended. Both Noble and Saunders, who had bowled unchanged throughout the innings, claimed one of these apiece to both complete five wicket hauls. This left the Australians with a target of 118 to win. The Australians opened with Duff and Trumper. Trumper started with three boundaries in an over off Blythe, but he was dropped at mid-on in the same over. Duff joined in the fun with a square cut followed by a pull to the boundary. The 50 partnership came up in only 35 minutes of play, but here Trumper was dismissed, trapped LBW by Blythe. He replaced him and started with the drive for four. He should have been dismissed shortly after, but was dropped by Lily. The Australians went to lunch at 1 for 62, with Duff having moved to 30. Following lunch, Duff started with a cut for four, whilst Hill successfully bisected the three men on the straight boundary on multiple occasions. The score moved quickly past 100 and within 20 runs of victory when Hill was caught behind off-gun for 30. The crowd called for Howell, his exploits in the previous innings fresh in everyone's minds, to come in next to finish the job. Trumbull acquiesced to the crowd's demands, but they were disappointed, as Howell was caught at point first ball for a duck. Gregory came in next, and with Duff took the Australians to the victory target with little fuss. Duff brought up his 50 whilst Gregory finished the match with a pull shot for 4, giving the Australians a 7-wicket victory and confirming their series win, going up 3-1 with only one test left to play in Melbourne at the end of February. The English had some consolation with a victory over Victoria by 8 wickets, with McLaren scoring a century. They were going to the final test making zero changes to their fourth test lineup. Meanwhile, the Australians made two changes. Saunders had suffered an injury playing for Victoria against the English and was unavailable whilst Howe was dropped. They were replaced by Tasmanian Charles Eady, playing his second test, and Joe Travers, a slow left-armer from South Australia, who was making his debut. The pitch was a difficult one to read, and when Trumbull won the toss, he reluctantly chose to bat. Trumper and Duff continued their partnership from the previous match. The first over, bowled by Jessup, saw Trumper take three off the first ball before Duff took ten runs off the next three balls, including two boundaries. However, Duff didn't progress beyond this, being bowled by Braun in the next over. Hill came in at number three and faced up to Blythe, who replaced Jessup. Trumper took two boundaries off Blythe's first over, whilst Hills also found the square leg boundary off Braun. Despite this scoring, the nature of the pitch meant the batsmen were never comfortable. The 50 came up in only 33 minutes with a straight drive for four from Hill, but he lost Trumper soon after for 27, bowled by Blythe. Gregory came to the crease at 2.54 and set to play cautiously. The two progressed the score into the 80s, helped by numerous poor fielding efforts, before McLaren had a double bowling change bringing on Gunn and Hayward. This brought about the breakthrough, with Gunn having Hill caught at third man for 28. Noble joined Gregory and two saw through to lunch with the score at three for 98. Immediately following the break, Gregory was dismissed for 25 in the exact fashion that Hill had been. From here, Ball completely dominated the bat. Noble brought up the hundred with the boundary through slips, but he was then trapped LBW by Hayward. Hayward then dismissed Trumbull, who guided an aggressive shot to be caught at Sean's fight and leg. Whilst Armstrong, who had come in at the fall of Noble, held firm at one end, consistent wickets kept falling at the other, with Australians losing 6-26 after lunch to collapse to 9 for 124. Last man Travis added 9 in a partnership of 20 with Armstrong, but when he became Gunn's fourth victim of the innings, the Australians were dismissed for 144. Armstrong remained 17-not out, whilst Hayward also claimed 4 wickets. McLaren then tried to press his advantage, changing his batting order and opening with himself and the big-hitting Jessup. This brought fruit immediately, with Jessup striking the first four balls of the innings to the boundary off Noble. He followed this up in the next over by launching Trumbull into the crowd. Another boundary off Trumbull soon after saw him bring up 30 in only 20 minutes of batting. McLaren also found the boundary, and the score had raced to 50 before Jessup tried one too many shots, being well caught by Hopkins looking into the sun off Trumbull. Jessup's 35 had given England the impetus in chasing down the small Australian score. His replacement was his temperamental opposite in Quaife who could only manage three before edging Noble to slip. This was then followed by Trumbull getting his opposite number McLaren caught and bowled for 25. The English were now three for 64 and in danger of squandering their good start. Hayward and Tilsey then combined for a while, seeing off the opening bowlers and moving the score into the 90s. This saw the two men brought into the Australian side, Travers and Edie, have their turn at the bowling crease. Hayward attempted to hit Travers out of the attack, but only succeeded in skying a ball high into the outfield where Trumper took a smart catch. Tildesley followed shortly after, edging a ball behind off Edie. The English were now 5 for 96 and in danger of not passing the Australian score. However, Braun and Lily came together and held out until the end of the day, taking the English to 133, within 11 of the Australians' first innings total. The English started the day well, taking 7 off Edie's first over, whilst in an next off Noble they went past the Australians. Lily was the more aggressive of the pair, jumping out to hit Trumbull to the boundary before taking 10 off one Noble over. Braun attempted to match his partner, but could only mishit a cut shot off Trumbull to be caught, dismissed for 30. McGay was then bowled in Trumbull's next over for a duck, whilst Lilly departed for 41 soon after, hitting Trumbull high into the offside to be well caught by Edie. This gave the Australian captain his fifth at the innings. The remaining two wickets went to Edie, closing the English innings on 189, a lead of 45 runs. The Australian openers Trumper and Duff negotiated the 10 minutes before lunch without loss. Following the break, Trumper benefited from 4 overthrows before smashing Hayward to the leg boundary. He tried one too many big shots however, and skied to mid on off Braun to be dismissed for 18. Hill came to the crease and was lucky to survive a strong LBW shout when on 4. At the other end, Duff was finding the boundary, with a back cut off Braun followed by 2 to square leg off Hayward. This helped erase the deficit, but Duff will be out soon after, caught and bowled by Braun for 28. Gregory joined Hill with a score at 2 for 52, a lead of 7. He started well, with a boundary to find leg. At the other end, Hill had struggled, reaching double figures in over 30 minutes of batting. Here, though, he started to find his rhythm, straight driving Braun to the boundary. This broke the shackles, with Hill then taking Braun for 15 in his next over, with three consecutive boundaries. Blythe replaced Braun, but received similar treatment, the Australian 100 coming up in his first over. The batsman continued to score freely, heading to tee at 128, with Hill on 43 and Gregory on 39. After tea, the bowling was a lot tighter. This eventually got to Gregory, who was bowled by Gunn for 41, having shared a 79 run partnership with Hill. Noble came in at number 5. The match stopped briefly as a fight in the crowd took attention away, but upon resumption Noble was busy, compiling 16 at better than a run a minute. He back-cut Gunn to the boundary, but was out next ball trying to repeat the stroke. Armstrong replaced him and was at the other end as Hill brought up his 50, his 4th of the series. He moved to 55 and should have been out. But once again in the series, Lilly missed a simple stumping. Hill continued to move his score onwards, being most effective in front of the wicket as opposed to his usual style, which focused more behind the crease. At the other end, Armstrong struggled to get going. Eventually, he struck a boundary with an off drive off Blythe, which brought up the 200. Here, Hill fell once again short of a century, this time for 87, being caught behind off Hayward. Trumbull joined Armstrong at 5 for 208, and the two looked to make it through to stumps. Armstrong will fall just before, though, trapped LBW by Braun for 20. Kelly replaced him, and with Trumbull, the two saw through to the end of the day, with Australians on 6 of 226, a lead of 181. Rain had fallen during the rest day, meaning the pitch was becoming more dangerous. Day 3 started with a shout for LBW on Trumbull, which was unsuccessful. The Australian captain took advantage, striking a 4 and then 3 in the next two balls. Kelly also played an expansive hook shot that was just cut off before the boundary. The two took the score on to two hundred and forty nine before Blythe got one past Trumble's bat to bowling for twenty. From here, the Australian innings collapsed, with the final three wickets falling for only six runs. Braun claimed the last two to finish with five for ninety five, his second five wicket bag of the series. The Australians finished on two hundred and fifty five, setting the English a target of two hundred and eleven to win a consolation victory. McLaren reverted back to his usual openers, with himself and Hayward commencing. The first ball highlighted the challenge of the pitch, with Trumbull's off-break rising from a length to strike McLaren on the ribs. McLaren handled it well, playing exclusively off the back foot, and scoring runs by turning the off-breaks of Trumbull and Noble into the leg side. At the other end, Hayward found scoring more difficult, going to lunch only on a single. Following lunch, rain began to fall as play continued. The Inks were able to progress their score to 40, before Hayward became the first wicket to fall, caught at mid-on off Trumbull for 15. To add insult to injury, the rain increased, leading the players to leave the field immediately. After a delay of 35 minutes, play resumed, with Quaif joining McLaren. The two moved the score onto 60 before another rain delay sent the players from the field, this time for an hour. McLaren started well after the resumption, moving into the 40s. Quaife was then trapped LBW for 4 by Noble, with a score at 2 for 64. He was replaced by Jessup, who cut his first ball for 4 and then took the next ball to Long on for 3. McLaren was lucky to survive a stumping chance, only just regaining his ground. At 48, he hit a ball into the field, completing the first run and turning for a second to complete his 50. However, Jessup refused to leave his crease, leaving the English captain to be stranded short of his ground by a good throw from Hill. This was the second unfortunately timed dismissal of the innings, with play ending only a few balls after, with the English at 3 for 87, still requiring 124 for victory. Day 4 couldn't have started any worse for the English, with Jessup playing a big shot off the first ball, only to be caught at mid-on off Trumbull. Braun joined Tildesley, but the pitch was extremely difficult, with both batsmen being struck by balls that reared off the pitch. Braun attempted to hit his way out of trouble, but could only find Hill in the outfield off the bowling of Noble. Lilly helped take the score past 100, but became Noble's third victim when he was caught by Duff at mid-off. McGay survived when Trumbull dropped him at slip, and took advantage by finding the boundary soon after. Tildesley also found the boundary, but when the score reached 120, McGay was caught in the outfield, another victim of Noble. The English had lost 4 for 33, and still required 91 for victory, with only 3 wickets in hand. At this point, Jones combined with Tildesley. The two flirted with danger, hitting numerous shots just out of the reach of fielders. This brought about the first bowling change of the innings, with Edie replacing Trumbull. Tildesley hit his first ball for 4, and after 13 runs in 2 overs, Trumbull returned to the bowling crease. The score went past 150 as Jones again survived a lucky chance as a nick went between keeper Kelly and Trumbull at Slip. In the next over from Noble, a stumping chance was missed. However, this is where Jones' luck finally ran out as he drove one hard back to the bowler who took a good catch. Jones had made 28 in 25 minutes and taken the score to 157. With only two wickets remaining, the English still needed 54 runs. Gunn could only manage four before becoming Noble's sixth victim. The final partnership took the English to within 33 runs of victory before Tildesley, who had been in since the fall of the third wicket, was last out for 36, with Captain Trumbull finally taking the last wicket. The English had finished on 178, giving them their fourth defeating test on the tour, with the scoreline 4-1 Australia being a repeat of the previous English tour and being Australia's third successive series victory, the first time they had won that many in a row. The result was the one expected before the series, as the English had been given little chance. However, under McLaren, they performed well, surprisingly winning the first test match and leading on the first innings in each of the final three test matches. They were unfortunate that their most incisive bowler, Barnes, had broke down halfway through the series, having taken 19 wickets at 17 across two and a half matches. Braun was a leading wicket taker for the English with 21 and was well supported by Blythe and Gunn. However, their lack of batting death cost them. McLaren was the standout with 412 runs at 45, whilst Braun and Hayward averaged in the mid-30s, but after that it was very hit and miss. This contrasted with the Australians, who were led by Hill with 521 runs at 52, including 3 consecutive scores in the 90s, whilst Newman, Armstrong and Duff both averaged over 44. On the bowling side, Noble and Trumbull were dominant, taking 60 wickets between them, with Noble's 32 including 4 fifers and a 10-wicket match. In the end, it was the Australians' ability in the crucial moments of matches that got them over the line. After the fifth test, Charles Edie returned home to play in the South Tasmanian Cricket Association Championship Final for Breaker Day against Wellington. The match was only played on Saturdays, but we played to completion. Ken Byrne, the first Tasmanian Test player, scored 161 in the Wellington innings. Edie was then in for the next four Saturdays, compiling 566 runs, the highest score ever achieved in club cricket around the world to that time. Naturally, Breaker Day won the final. The English had one final first class match against South Australia, which they won by six wickets. This season was also notable for an Australian first. In a first class match between New South Wales and Queensland, both sides featured an Indigenous Australian, Jack Marsh for New South Wales, and Alec Henry for Queensland. Both had suffered from accusations of throwing, which were generally put down to racist attitudes against Indigenous players. In fact, despite Marsh's excellent first class record, Monty Noble would use his powers as a selector to prevent him from being picked in future for both New South Wales and Australia. New South Wales were the Shield winners, having won all four of their matches. The 19102 Tour had again shown the strength of Australian cricket, and was well received off the back of Federation, with a side for the first time representing a united Australian nation. Immediately following the end of the series, the Australians would head to England for the 1902 tour, a series which would go down in folklore for some of the closest Test matches in history and from the exploits of one Victor Trumper, who would forever etch his name as one of the greatest batsmen of all time. Thank you for listening. New episodes of Endless Summons will be released fortnightly. Please subscribe to be notified of new releases. You can also follow us on Twitter at pod underscore endless and you can email us at endlesssummerpod at gmail.com.